0: All right. Turn your Bibles again to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse uh, 18 where we left off last week. And before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. Again, you are a great and an awesome God. We ask the Lord now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here and those that are watching on live stream. May you minister to every heart. You know what's going on in everyone's life, what struggles they may be going through, the trials they may be facing. Lord, I pray you'd meet us here. We pray that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, and so you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. So context, when we take a text out of context, all we got left is a con, Amen. So I want to make sure we understand again, I know we've been going through 1 Peter for a while. What a great book, by the way, amen? But Paul, or Paul, Peter is writing this letter to the early church who at that time was under great persecution, so much so that the church had been scattered. Now, as Peter is writing this letter, he's writing to encourage them to remain steadfast in the face of persecution and great trials and great difficulty. Some of them had gotten to the point where if you knew that if you shared your faith, you might get fed to lions, or if you shared your faith, you know, you might be thrown in prison or whatever it might be. It gets some people to get a little more quiet about their faith, and some of them had pulled back in a very big way. So this letter has been an exhortation and a word of encouragement to them to remain steadfast. One of the things he talked about is that this is for but a little while. And I think that's a reminder for all of us that whatever trial you're going through, it's it's temporary. Now you might say, well, you know, the death of my son, is that temporary? Well, yes, it is, because I'm going to see him again in heaven. Amen? So whatever trial you may be going through that may even seem permanent in this life is but a vapor of time compared to eternity. And so the exhortation and the encouragement was that this too shall pass. You know, we can often find ourselves when we're going through trials, if we're not careful, we can question God, we can become angry, bitter, fearful, depressed, or, or heartbroken. And before you know it, we're being moved more by our circumstances and our emotions than we are being led by the holy spirit and as believers the way that we can have victory in this life and 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 walk in a life that brings that has joy and love and kindness to be the fruit of the holy spirit we need to walk in the fullness of the holy spirit and then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh guys we need to run to the lord not from him when things are tough The enemy wants to isolate you. He wants you to get you to be by yourself and to be overwhelmed by your circumstances. And the Lord wants to put his arms around you. So some of the letters, people that received this letter, again, so far, he's told them to endure, to remain faithful, to submit to those in authority over him, to recognize the sovereignty of God in all our circumstances, and to know that what Satan means for evil, God can use for good. Amen. So last week, if you were here, I told the message, when you're persecuted by the world, we saw it's a blessing, not a curse, that you have nothing to fear. It's an opportunity to defend the truth. It's an opportunity to display the character of God. And it is far better to suffer persecution for being faithful to God than deal with consequences for being unfaithful to God. So now that brings us to this morning's text. If you have your outline, grab it. A lot of subpoints on there, but I'm just going to hit the main ones following the example of Jesus. I know this sounded corny back in the day, but, uh, you know, some decades ago, they had this saying, what would Jesus do? And people wore a brace that said WWJD on it. And I, you know what? I don't think that's a bad idea to be reminded when whatever decision you're about to make, what would Jesus do is a great place to start. Can I get an amen? amen. We want to make sure that we're honoring the Lord, being faithful to the Lord. We're called Christians. We're imitators of Christ. So we follow. We don't look to men. We follow Jesus. Number one, we'll see in this morning's text, we've got four points. Be willing to suffer to lead others to him. I'll lift the S off there. Be willing to suffer to lead others to him. What really matters in this life, the only thing that ultimately matters is when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. When we stand before God on Judgment Day, it won't matter how much money was in our 401k, how many followers you had on TikTok, amen, Uh, you know, how much money you had in the bank, how good looking you were, whatever those things may be, none of that will matter when you stand before the King of Kings. What will matter is what have we done with God's Son. You hear me say it all the time, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And because that's the case, if, if our suffering is going to bring someone else to the Lord, then praise God. If the difficulties in our life is gonna be a testimony that God uses to encourage somebody else, then praise God. I shared this on, on Thursday night. I got a call this week from a man who just lost his son in a very similar way to way, I lost, to way my son. My son's not lost by the way, I know exactly where he is. But the same thing and, and there's a common spirit there and so we talked for an hour and a half and, and I'm gonna be going to his son's funeral on Thursday. So so the point is that no suffering is wasted, and the trials that we go through, God can use them and will use them for His glory and to minister to others if we will let Him. Amen? Too often, we don't want to be... By the way, if you've never been persecuted, you're being too quiet for Jesus, because boldness and persecution tend to go hand in hand. Amen? I've never been persecuted in my life. Well, people don't know you're saved, so, you know, open up your mouth and let them know about Jesus. Amen? Amen? So number one, be willing to suffer to lead others to Christ. Suffering and persecution is a part of the Christian walk. We don't know it in this country the way people do it in other countries. There are people right now that are in hiding, having bought, had church today in hiding, because if they get caught, they could be thrown in prison. Places like China and other places in the Middle East, where you, know, you can lose your life for worshiping Jesus. But guys, we need to be willing to suffer in small ways when they're willing to suffer in great ones. Number two, boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to all men. You know, Almighty God in his mercy gives lost sinners a way of escape from the judgment we rightfully deserve. And we know that, but we should not be keeping that to ourselves. We cannot keep that to ourselves. You have divine appointments every day. You run into people every day that need to hear the gospel. And we need to pray, Lord, give us a sensitivity, the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to speak up when we need to. Not to keep, again, not to keep it to ourselves. Number three, being openly identified with him. This is when we talk about baptism. We're gonna address it in a way, There's only, we're only looking at five verses this morning because we're looking at some heavy stuff, but baptism is misunderstood by so many people. Baptism is not the source of salvation, it's something that we do once we've been saved to be identified with Jesus Christ, amen? amen. Because if baptism were necessary for salvation, Jesus would be a liar on the cross when he said, it is finished, paid in full. And some will teach, and we'll look at it when we get to the verse, they'll teach the first half of the verse we're going to look at and say, see, you got to be baptized to be saved. Now, baptism is a fruit of salvation, if you will. It's something that we do once we're saved. And that's why we don't baptize babies. Because you know what? Babies have not made a decision to follow Jesus. We dedicate babies. And baptism is something that happens in the life of somebody who's already given their life to Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you in two weeks, we are having a baptism. If you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to be baptized. Some people will say, well, I got baptized when I was five years old and I didn't understand. Then be baptized again. That's okay. You can do that. Amen. Amen. It's okay to be identified with the Lord again. It's okay. You know, when we do baptisms in Santa Cruz, we'd do them out on the beach, we'd invite a bunch of other churches, and we'd be out in the water, and invariably, almost every time, somebody would swim out and say, can I get baptized? Because they're like, all these people are getting baptized, and they're just at the beach, and they want to get baptized. And the first question is, where are you at with Jesus? Because baptism won't do you any good if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ first. If you haven't been born again, baptism will not save you. So we'll talk about that, following the example of Jesus, being openly identified with Him, and then finally having a heavenly focus. You know, the more people that I love that are in heaven, the more I'm focused on heaven, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And you know what? When we know where we're headed, it gives us peace in the trials of that which is temporary. Amen. How many of you know that you're going to heaven? Okay, you should be excited about that. By the way, all right, best four hundred one k going heaven best retirement program, heaven. Amen. And we should be excited about the fact that we're going to heaven. I say that a lot. People ask me, hey, Dave, how you doing? Going to heaven. And then, you know, you can tell if they are or not too, because the leaders say, amen, or they'll go, whoa, okay. And by the way, you can go too. Well, I didn't really want to have that conversation, but you know what I mean? Going to heaven. Heaven is better. We're going to be there forever. we got to live every day in light of eternity. Amen? So let's begin there looking at following the example of Jesus. Be willing to suffer to lead others to him. He says there in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. Now that's a Bible verse right there. Boy, you could preach that verse for a month. Look what it says. Let's read that again. For Christ also suffered once for sins. This is why we do not believe in transubstantiation. You know what that is? The Catholics believe that every time you take communion, you're eating the body of Christ. Like he died again. He died once. That's why if you have a cross and you got Jesus on the cross, get rid of that one. Get one without him on the cross. He's not on the cross. You see it at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Amen. Amen? People keep putting Jesus back on the cross. He died once. It's finished. It's paid in full. It's done. And there's an empty tomb. Amen? Amen. Okay? He died once. He's our example. In his faithful obedience to the Father, he suffered. And we follow his example. So sometimes in our obedience to the father, we are going to suffer. And I told you, I say this all the time, show me somebody in the Bible used mightily. I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly. There are no examples that I can find anywhere in scripture of somebody used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. The apostle Paul and chained, thrown in prison, you know, uh, most of them were martyred. They tried to boil John in oil, and he didn't die because he saw to write the book of Revelation. God said, "I'm not done with you yet. That boiling's not going to work." And he wrote the book of Revelation. And so, again, we want. Too often, you you can watch something on television that gives you the thought that if you give your life to Jesus, then you can command God. He's a holy Santa Claus in the sky. You just rub the genie and tell him what you want. And you'll never have any more problems. You'll get the Cadillac in the driveway. If you give a seed offering, he'll blow back some money at you. That is so far from Christianity. The <laughs> Bible says we join in the fellowship of his sufferings. But this is light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So when we give your life to the Lord, I, I say this often, it'd be easier if someone come up and said, deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. Well, kill me. I'll be in heaven. I think that's easier than having to die to yourself every single day and live for the Lord every single day. He died for us once, but we need to die to the flesh every day. And because he died for us once, we can die to the flesh every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So to walk of faithful obedience to him when we do, suffering is often the result. No one suffered more than Jesus. No one. Some people say, well, this person had more torture than Jesus. Well, let me tell you, all the torment Jesus went through, and we never should play any of that down, the worst thing that Jesus endured was separation from the Father. So he endured the torment, the suffering, and the shame, endured it all, and then he knew separation from the Father. And because he knew separation from the Father, we can have fellowship with the Father. Thank you, Jesus. So he knew separation so we could know intimacy. That's the God that we serve. And here's the other thing. All those other people that were tortured, they couldn't have stopped it. Jesus could have. He could have put a screeching halt to it anytime he wanted to. He could have called a legion of angels out of the sky. He could have just looked at them and told them what they were getting. He just put the stars in the sky. He could have said, you're a toad and the guy would have turned into a frog. He could have done whatever he wanted. And he didn't do it because he loves you. Amen. He endured that because He loves you. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you, and He proved it on the cross. Amen? Amen? That's the God we serve. And we want to follow His example. We want to be unashamed of our Savior. Let me read something from 1 Peter chapter 2. You can look at it later. We looked at this just a few weeks ago. This is verse 21 to 24. Here's what it says. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, and you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus endured it because he loves you. He suffered once. There's only been one ever who's been just. says there, he, the just dying for the unjust. We're the unjust. Welcome to the unjust club. You're a part of it. We're all sinners. I came to this church. I want to be told I'm a sinner. Let me. Cl- You're a sinner. All have sinned. And the word all there in the original language means all. That includes you. That includes me. We're sinners. The word sin is, is an archery term. And it's a, the distance between perfection and where the arrow lands. So it's missing the mark. Jesus is the bullseye. He is the perfection. Now, if you compare yourself to other arrows, you might be closer to the bullseye and might think of yourself, well, that guy didn't even hit the target. I'm at least on the edge of the target. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to Christ and for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. Amen. So until we recognize we're sinners, we'll see no need for a savior. And praise God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the just died for the unjust. And only the just could die for the unjust. That's why you cannot find salvation through Muhammad, who was a pedophile, ungodly, tool of Satan. Is that pretty clear? <laughs> okay. Horrible. Needed to get saved. Can I get an Amen. And people will say, well, I believe in Muhammad. Not me. I believe in the just, not the unjust. I believe in the one who lived a sinless, perfect life. By the way, Muhammad created nothing. Jesus created everything. Amen. And, doesn't, and it doesn't have to be Muhammad. We put Joseph Smith in there, the Mormon church, Charles Taze Russell, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses. We can go down the list. You can pick anybody you want. And all of them are dead. All of them have fallen short. None of them could die for you. None of them did die for you. And even if they tried to die for you, it wouldn't do anything because three days later, none of them rose from the dead. And guess what? We can go dig up all their bones. We serve a risen, a living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death, and we should follow him and be unashamed of it and not let anybody else compare anything to him because nothing else compares to him. Amen? Amen? Unashamed of it. What a God we serve. We're to follow in his footsteps, to walk in holiness. Well, I, I, well, I don't do that all the time. No, you don't. Neither do I but that's what we're called to do. Be holy for I am holy. That should be our desire. And every morning, Lord, help me to walk in the center of your will today. Lord, I need your help. We need to speak the truth. Do it in love. Don't be a jerk. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. I probably wouldn't talk about Muhammad that way to a Muslim. Not right off the bat anyway, Amen. (laughs) I would at least say, hey, well, let's, you know, I have some clients that are Muslims, and we talk all the time. And I haven't really got to the pedophile part yet, but it's coming. Okay, <laughs> but the point I'm making is, point I'm making is that we need to love people enough to bring them to the truth. Amen. Love them enough. He didn't revile; we shouldn't revile. He didn't threaten; we shouldn't threaten. You don't overcome evil with evil; you overcome evil with good. Willing to even suffer to lead others to Christ. Jesus is our example, and he's the greatest example, again, of a just man suffering unjustly. Again, he's the only just man who ever lived. No one's ever suffered in a more unjust way. What did Jesus do to be crucified? Well, he was perfect holy son of God, He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator of all things. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the great I Am. He's the bright and morning star. He's Almighty God made manifest in human flesh. He's one who loved, served, taught, healed, fed, and ministered to any and all who would come to him. And they crucified him. The same people that on Palm Sunday, many of the same people who were crying out, Hosanna, save now we pray you four days later, we're crying out, crucify him. Why? Because they wanted a conquering king, not a suffering savior. And a lot of people that come to Jesus today, they want someone to rid them of their earthly problems, to to, to put money in their bank account, to take away all the health issues, to take away uh, whatever that struggle may be. And they come to the Lord, not to surrender their life to him, but so he can fix their problems. he he fixed our ultimate problem, and it's sin. And because of that, we have the promise of heaven. And we need to live knowing that when we give our life to the Lord, he can use our life any way he chooses to. I shared with you about my senior pastor in San Jose, where Rob McCoy and I were were on staff in the 90s. And, uh, you know, he had a stroke, he went blind in one eye, he had one of his lungs cut out, then he had his artificial hip and another artificial hip, an artificial knee and another artificial knee. And he used to say, you know, I gave my life to the Lord, I just didn't think he was going to take it one piece at a time. <laughs> you know, and when we give our life to the Lord, he can take it however he chooses to. And we need to praise him no matter what. And we need to trust his character. And we need to look at things from an eternal perspective. He suffered like no man ever has before or since. The unparalleled torment and then knowing separation from the Father. You know, all, you know that my sin, this, you know, this, ought to, this ought to bring you to tears. All of your sin was put on Jesus. The sins you haven't committed yet, put on Jesus. And not just my sin, but all of your sin and all the sin of everybody who ever lived, all put on Jesus the only one who never sinned. And He paid the price for all of us. And I believe that He thought about you by name when He was hanging on the cross. You're His treasured possession. He endured that for you. And that's what I think about when I hear someone curse in His name. That's what I think about when I see people mocking our Savior. I think, oh, You know, but when they mocked Jesus and they ran up and they hit him in the face when his face was covered and said, prophesy who hit you, Jesus didn't respond. He just said, I'm just going to go to the cross and pay for that sin. That's the God we serve. Amen. All of it was done out of love for you, out of love for me. His blood was poured out. His body was broken. He is just. We are unjust. We are condemned. We were condemned and he redeemed us. The word redeem there means to pay in full. He paid the price. We had a debt that, you know, there's no number for it, but let's just say we owed $50 billion and we got 45 cents on our pocket. And we come with what little we have and it's nothing. And we stand before the judge and we're supposed to, we're we're done. We're gonna be thrown in prison for the rest of our lives. We're gonna be in torment forever. And what's amazing is Jesus is the judge. He takes off the robe. He comes and stands next to us and says, it's okay, he's with me, I'll pay his fine." That's our savior. I'm tired of people watering down being called a, I'm not a Christian. I'm spiritual. No, I'm a Christian. I'm I'm not ashamed of being called a Christian. Amen. I want to be identified with Jesus Christ, even though I don't deserve it. And I often fail him, but I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. When we walk in rebellion, when we choose to live a life of sin, the suffering most often that, we, that, that occurs then is because of the consequences of our sin. We can make ungodly choices. We hear me say it all the time. You know, uh, the word of God is not a fence to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. God gives us his word not to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. Amen. But when we choose to disregard it and then the harm comes, that's not persecution or suffering. And, for being a Christian. That's consequences of sinful behavior. But there are times as believers when you make a stand for the things of God, and you're unashamed of the gospel, and you are be kind, be loving, be gracious. But even in the midst of that, when you stand for the things of God, there will people that, there'll be people that will attack you. Well, look what they did to our Savior. Why are, why are we surprised? There's this big thing going on now called deconstructing Christians, Christians who are pulling away from Christianity. I've got three or four of them. They're sending me stuff. And they're all, I was a pastor for 30 years. I was a pastor for 18 years. You were a false prophet for 30 years, bro. If you don't know Jesus, you were never a pastor. Amen. They're like, well, one of the guys sent me this thing. He said, tell me something that God, you have a personal relationship with God. Tell me something he did personally to you that you didn't read in the Bible. And I said, I could, I could, we could have that conversation for the next 50 years. I couldn't tell you everything he's done for me. Amen. Jesus Christ is my best friend. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. I have intimate fellowship with almighty God. I walk with him. I talk with him. He speaks to me, encourages me. He strengthens me. He convicts me by his Holy Spirit when I'm outside of his will. Amen. That's down payment on heaven. The Holy Spirit. If you're not convicted by sin, you're not saved. And if you are convicted by sin, praise God that you're convicted and repent. Amen? Amen. Be willing to suffer to lead others to Him. When we walk by faith, our suffering is not in vain. See, when it's a consequence of sin, it's going to impact not only us, but people around us. But when we suffer for the cause of Christ, that suffering is never in vain. It will always be used for His glory, to minister to others if we will but let Him. Amen? Amen. So whatever that thing is you're going through right now, our suffering is ultimately a part of God's plan. You know, it does two things. It molds us more into the image of our Savior, conforms us more into His image, but also brings about God's perfect will to bring glory to His name, to draw the lost to Him. I, I, I don't like being in the... Uh, dad who's got a a son that passed away before him club. I don't like it. If it was up to me, I'd be out of it tomorrow. I would give everything I have, all I have to have my son back like that. I would do it. That being said, Lord, I'll praise you no matter what. And you're a faithful God. And you're already using this for your glory. And it's already caused me to hang on him tighter than I ever have. And so you know what we can we can sleepwalk when we're laying down in green pastures, but when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we're gonna hang on to the shepherd with both hands. And so suffering and difficulty and trials are gonna draw us closer to the Lord. It's gonna make us hang on tighter to the Lord, and it's gonna then give us an opportunity to comfort others with the comfort that we have received when he comforted us. Second Corinthians chapter one tells us that. So he's encouraging them. Bring about God's perfect will be willing to suffer, to lead others to him. Notice what it says there at the end of that verse. It says that being put to the flesh be made alive, but he says that he might bring us to God. His suffering, his just, this just unsuffering unjustly, the sin of all human history being poured upon him, allowed to us, him to bring us to God, to present us. See, you know, when, when the Father sees us, he sees us through the shed blood of his son and he sees us as holy. He sees us as perfect. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. He redeemed us. He washed away our sin. And so in, in the eyes of it, we're holy and righteous and just because not because of what we've done, but because of what he did for us. So he was, he's able to bring us to God. See, there's a bridge. So, so here's man and here's God and there's a bridge and the bridge is the cross. See, good works can't get you from here to here. Nothing you can do, being religious, reading your Bible, every religious ritual, none of that can bridge that gap of sin. And the only thing that can is the cross of Calvary. And so the only way we can come to the Father is through the shed blood of the Son. And praise God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His suffering was not in vain. It served a purpose to present us holy, redeemed, and forgiven. And so to our suffering and the suffering of those First century persecuted believers was not in vain. It serves a purpose. Our tests become testimonies to the lost. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's easy to say you love the Lord and I'm on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's perfect, but dear, you're still going to praise Him when things go sideways? You're still going to praise Him when you lose your job? You're still going to praise Him when you're diagnosed with cancer? You're still going to praise Him as Job did when all 10 of His children died and everything He had was wiped away and His health was taken from Him? See, that's only possible if we walk by faith. It isn't always easy to see when we're in the midst of it. It's not about keeping a stiff upper lip, but remaining humble, broken, and desperate for God. You know, it's interesting. The verse that people love to quote is, All things do indeed work together for the good of those who trust God, those called according to his purpose. People like to say that about good things in life. But all things work together for good when your 28-year-old son goes to heaven. All things work together for good when you've been diagnosed with cancer. All things work together for good when you lost your job. God will use it for His glory, if you will, but let Him. See, the only way we can endure this is if we have an eternal perspective. It's impossible any other way. I say this all the time. I go to a thing called Grief Share on Tuesday nights. It's fantastic. We're going to start doing it here at some point. It's all people who've lost family members who are grieving, and all how do we deal with it from a biblical perspective? It's over at Calvary Oxnard. I love it. It's great. And one of the things I've said and I keep saying, and now everybody is, I'm fine when I think about where my son is. I struggle when I think about where he's not, which is in my house or sitting next to me at the dinner table. So guys, we struggle when we think about, you know, this life, when we focus on the temporary and we have peace when we focus on the eternal. Amen. The Bible says in Colossians 3:2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth to tell my youth group kids, I got you for four years. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I got you for four years. If all I do is get you from doing this to get you to do this, amen? Quit looking around and start looking up. Amen? Looking up. That's what we need to be doing. Even the greatest and most overwhelming of trials and suffering, um, they work together the for the good of God. It's interesting, the last time I taught this text, so whenever I, just so you know, whenever I teach a text I taught, it was, this was 14 years ago, last time I taught this text, 2008. And I always go grab my old notes first and kind of look at those. And what's amazing is the last time I taught this, it was two days after Greg Laurie's son died. So then I went and listened to part of the message and I was talking about how he lost his son and I can't imagine losing one of mine. And then how can we pray for him and encourage him? And I'm thinking, I'm getting ministered to. So again, no suffering is wasted. Our God is a faithful God, amen? The enemy wants to use that suffering to get you mad at God, get you doubting God, get you questioning God. Don't you love me, Lord? Well, that's how your kids look at you when you spank them, amen? And they got spanked because they, they love you. You love him, amen? And our suffering, again, can be for being faithful. Let me clue you in, if you're thinking about, here's, here's how you need to be thinking about the Lord. His biggest concern is not your comfort. He sent a comforter because you're not supposed to be comfortable. <laughs> Amen? Amen. <laughs> and what do we say? Oh, I just want to retire comfortable. No. It's not, he's not, our, it's, it's not for our comfort. But to conform us to his image, to lead the lost to him as they see Jesus in us in the midst of our suffering. But while the Christian walks, walk does indeed include persecution and suffering, one thing our personal suffering cannot produce is our salvation. See, it doesn't matter how much you suffer, that won't save you. And the only way you can truly endure suffering is if you've been saved already. But you'll see people. You'll watch the. I watch a National Geographic thing, and these guys are wounding themselves to prove their. You know, try to earn God's favor. They're sticking needles through their arms and through their cheeks and doing all this stuff. Think of the prophets of Baal, right? Mount Carmel. They're crying out to Baal. Oh, look how we wound ourselves for the. They're cutting themselves up. Here's the good news. Jesus endured the torment, so we don't have to. He paid the price for us so that suffering doesn't save us, but we can endure suffering once we've been saved. Amen? And praise God for that, for his love and his grace. Praise God that he was willing to suffer in our place. There's no longer any sacrifice or any atonement that can please God. Again, even our own suffering won't pay for our sins. The price has already been paid. Jesus paid it. And I love that it says he paid it once at the beginning of that verse. Once and for all. Done. Finished. Paid for. Praise God. Amen? We don't need first holy communion, baptism, uh, last rites, and everything in between. Jesus plus these 47 other steps, and then he might get to heaven. You know what? Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. We don't hope we're going to heaven. We know we're going to heaven because God's word promises we're going to heaven. And because Jesus Christ paid the price in full once and for all. Amen? Well, where are you on your path to salvation? People have asked me, like, there's no path. I'm there. Amen? I'm just traveling down my road trying to discover my way. You ready? Jesus! There it is. Amen? Amen. But there's this sad mentality that we're, you know, oh, we got to add to it. Well, Hebrews 9 says, that so Christ once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look to him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming again. Hebrews 10, 10 says, "By, by which we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It says in Hebrews 7, 27, who needed not daily as those high priests to offer sacrifice, first for his own sins, then for people's sins. For this he did once when he offered himself. See, in the old covenant, they were making sacrifices every day. Many times a day, plus special on feasts and all and sacrifices. And, and you know what? When you go there, it was a bloody mess. Blood was flowing everywhere. The priest was as much a butcher as he was anything. Dragging animals in, slitting their throats, cutting them into pieces, sacrificing them. That was what they did. Here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross. We're not dragging lambs in here anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He paid it once and for all. It's finished. So quit trying to add to the cross. Quit trying to do other things that you think will make God love you more. You can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less. He's adopted you. You're one of his children. If you had a wallet, your picture be in it. Amen? That's our God. Then it says there, now you know why there's only five verses this morning. (laughs) Being put to death in the flesh, he made alive by the Spirit. Jesus, fully man, fully God, went to the cross in human flesh. While he could have intervened spiritually, he did not. He endured the suffering in his humanity, did not escape or avoid it, and in the end, Jesus' human body died as a sacrifice to redeem humanity. He did that for us. Again, all other biographies, if you read them, they end when the guy dies. He dies, it's the last page, and he died. Game over. End of story it really only begins there with the Lord. Because three days later, he rose from the dead. I've been to Israel. I've been to the tomb. I've been inside. He's not there. He's risen and has triumphed over sin and death. And because he has, we can be forgiven. We're made, notice says, made alive by the Spirit, dead in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. A picture of our daily Christian walk. See, when we were born, before we were born again, we were spiritually dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then the Holy Spirit, after the Lord redeemed us, he gave us a down payment on heaven. The Holy Spirit that was here before you were saved came in here. You knew some right and wrong out here because the Holy Spirit was with you. But the Bible talks about when you're born again, he comes in you. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit can be upon you or overflowing, being, being baptized in the Spirit and dwelt with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. As my dad used to say, call it what you want, just get it. <laughs> amen? And pray daily, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. See, we were once dead, now we're alive in Christ. This is why you don't date unbelievers. You're not supposed to date dead people. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> you drag a corpse into my living room and introduce me as your new boyfriend, we got a problem, Amen? We don't date dead people. We pray for them that they might be al- made alive. Amen? Amen. We're to see people born again, new creations in Christ. 1 Peter 3, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 6, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. In John chapter 2, Jesus raised himself from the dead. You know why? Because that's the Trinity right there. Amen? And being a Christian, not putting on a Band-Aid on an old womb or showering off the dirt, but death to who we once were and being made new creations in Christ. See, a lot of people will walk an aisle and pray a prayer and their life won't change because they never really died to themselves. They've never truly been born again. It's got to go beyond just some religious ritual. It's got to go beyond joining a church. It's got to be a radical transformation from the inside out that you have taken yourself off the throne and Jesus Christ has been placed there and now he's filled you with his Holy Spirit and he rules and reigns in your life. And you know what? He's, He's redeemed you, forgiven you, adopted you, accepted you, you're born again. And then and only then can we call ourselves Christians. Anything short of that is not true salvation. So point number one, being willing to suffer to lead others to him. We follow the example of our Savior. Suffering and persecution are part of the Christian walk if you're living out loud for the Lord. Number two, boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to all men. Look what it says in verse 19 and 20. By whom, this is the Holy Spirit, right? He just said made alive by the Spirit. Then he says, by whom, okay? By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient, who once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. What in the world is this talking about? By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now the spirits in prison includes people who died in the flood of Noah and all others who died without the Lord. Now this is where the Catholic church gets purgatory and they mess it all up, okay? There's no such thing as purgatory. But prior to Jesus dying on the cross, when people died, they went to Sheol or Hades, and there's two compartments there. Read Luke 16, you'll see it. Paradise, and then the place of torment. Paradise is also called Abraham's bosom, okay? So it was a place in the presence of God, but not fully in the presence of the Father. Why? Because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So when Jesus died on the cross, those, during those three days, you'll see this depiction of him. And if I hear it again, I'm going to slap Kenneth Copeland, okay? But he says things like this. And Jesus went down and became a worm and had to be born again. No! No. No. He had already paid the price, amen? He was already paid. What did he do? He went in and escorted those who were in this... In paradise, in Abraham's bosom, he escorted them into the presence of the Father because he showed up and said, hey, guys, it's done. All the sacrifices that were made, the faith you put in me coming, well, I came, it's been finished, it's been done, and now you go directly into the presence of the Father. So here's the good news for us. We don't go to paradise. We don't go to Hades. We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory because it's done. Amen. Amen? Amen. And see, this is where they go. Well, see, he had to go down. and No. Didn't suffer anymore. Suffering was done. Amen? Amen. Torment was paid. Price was paid. Triumphed over sin and death. You go to Luke 16, you see Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man's asking Lazarus to come put water on his tongue. And go tell my family. I don't want him coming here. Hell's a real place. We don't want anybody to go there. And neither does our Savior. And he proved it on the cross. Amen. No, he went and preached to them, spirits, souls, breath, that's what it's talking about, to herald, to proclaim openly. And again, he's removed them by the cross of Calvary, ushered them into the presence of the Father. Abraham's bosom is no more. Don't eat it anymore. Straight into heaven. When he rose from the dead, we know that he emptied out paradise and took all the faithful with him into heaven. And again, praise God for that. Verse 20, who formerly were disobedient once the divine long-suffering wait- awaited in the days of Noah. The population of the earth I don't think people understand this, because uh, people lived so long prior to the flood. I think people lived 900 years. Thank you, Jesus, I'm not going to be here for 900 years. Can you imagine? You begin your driver's license at, at 160, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything would change. He'd be in school forever. You know, can okay, you imagine? I'm glad 930 years. Lord help. I don't want to live to be as old as Jack. I don't want to live to be 930. He's 99, by the way. But I'm so thankful, and we need to be reminded of this that in the days of Noah, It says there was so much wicked on the earth that God was bringing righteous judgment to the entire earth. And what he did is he, you can see the picture there, Noah was given a 120 year warning to build a boat when it had never rained. That's faith. It's also faith to put two termites on a wooden boat, but that's just another issue. (laughs) But the point point I'm making though is, I'm an old youth pastor, you gotta let some of this stuff go, you gotta let it go. But for 120 years while he was building a boat, he was mocked daily. And he kept building it anyway. And do you know he proclaimed the gospel every day for 120 years? He proclaimed, hey, there's a flood coming. Water's going to fall from the sky. They mocked him. And during those days, there was perversion amongst the earth. It was perversion. It was as perverted as ever been. Now, some people don't recognize this, but they had lived long enough that there literally could have been billions of people on the earth. Not just a handful certainly millions, possibly billions. And guess how many people got saved? Eight. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws who are really glad they got married. Can I get him into that? Eight people, 120 years preaching, and only your family got saved. And if Noah had quit, they would all been done. If he'd stopped working on the boat, he'd be, he'd gone down. We're all, by the way, we're all related to Noah. He's our great, 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 great something grandfather, right? So we're all related to Noah. But see, God brought righteous judgment, but whenever he brings righteous judgment, he gives opportunities, an ample opportunity to be saved. 120 years of warning, 120 years of being told, and 120 years of people shaking their fists at God saying, I want nothing to do with them. But Noah kept preaching the gospel and praise God for that. God mercifully gave this perverse generation a way of escape. And he does the same for us. Noah proclaiming God's message with great boldness and with the result, persecution. He was bold, they mocked him. You know what? Remember, I can just think for Noah, 120 years of mocking didn't seem so bad when the rain started falling. Amen? When he got into the boat, when the animals started showing up, by the way, if you read the, the, in context, God's the one who shut up the boat. He's the one to shut the door on the boat. Praise God for that. Amen? But what's amazing to me is when we go through persecution, Noah went through it for 120 years. We're not going to go through it that long. But when we go through persecution, we need to be mindful of not the temporary persecution, but how thankful we're going to be when we stand before God one day. Amen? Have that eternal perspective. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Noah's a great example, again, persecuted Christian receiving, uh, again, this letter. Because see, the people that got this letter were being persecuted. And no doubt they thought they were being persecuted worse than anybody else ever had been. So he's already reminded them of Jesus and what he endured. And now he's reminding them of Noah. He endured more persecution than you did. Jesus endured more persecution than anybody did. I know you're going through a tough time, but God is still faithful. Trust him. That's kind of the message that he's giving them. All knowing his knowing suffering was, He you might say, well, only eight people got saved. Well, his suffering was worth it to them. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And Jesus' suffering is worth it to us. All worth it today for even one or two souls. What if the Lord came to you and said, you're going to deal with this torment, and he wrote it all out, and there are 50 things you're going to have to deal with, and pain, and finances, and all these things, but this person's going to get saved because of it. Is it worth it? What's the answer? It absolutely is, because this is but light affliction when compared to eternity. All the re- and See, but at the same time, here's why we don't share our faith, because we're afraid people won't like us. Amen. If I talk to the guy, if I talk to the neighbor at the mailbox, he's going to think I'm a Jesus freak. I hope he knows I'm a Jesus freak. Amen? We're afraid. We're more worried about what men think than what God knows. Amen? Their source of righteous judgment for rejecting the truth, again, they're in torment today. The sad part is, all those who heard for 120 years and rejected it, do you think they wish they listened? And the sad part is we have people around us that haven't even heard it because we won't even tell them. I used to have this video that I used to show my youth group, and it's four kids in a car, and the car wrecks. It was kind of cheesy. It was back in the 80s. you know. And these car wrecks, and these four kids are standing there, and two of them are going into heaven, the other two are being drug off to hell. And the two that turn to their friend and go, What? You didn't tell us? You didn't tell us. How come you didn't tell us? You didn't tell us. Just show that to the youth group and then just let it be quiet for a minute. And they're like, oh. If you were in a car accident with some of your friends, would they be telling you the same thing? I'd say the same thing to us. If you are in a car with your neighbors and you're going to heaven, would they say you haven't told us? We need to be faithful to tell them, amen? Now, saved through water. This is the part that people get all, look, I'm saved through water. There it is. The water of the flood washed away sin and wickedness and brought a new world with a fresh start before God, he cleansed the earth, right? Do you know what, that, that the water canopy broke and that's why people lived so long and then people didn't live as long anymore. And the world was, before the flood, it was like a greenhouse effect. I truly believe that everywhere was like Hawaii. You know what I mean? It was just, you know, all the, it was just a water canopy. It was, and people live forever. Not forever, but 900 years, that's forever. 900 years. And then the water canopy broke, and it went away. And again, God cleansed the earth using water. Now look, verse point number three, being openly identified with him. Look what it says here. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Now, people stop right there. There is now an antitype that saves us, baptism. See, pastor, it says baptism. I got saved in baptism. It's baptism that saves me. I was in India I've uh, been there seven times. You teach pastors how to study and teach the Bible. And this one guy in the hotel, first of all, the, the, the nation's 99.8% between Muslim and Hindu and 0.2% Christians. I find a Christian guy and he wants to debate me about baptism. <laughs> I'm like, bro, Really? The whole country needs Jesus. Let's go share our faith with somebody. Well, wait a minute, but we're saved Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus only? Not the father, son, and the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus only. And were you dunked or were you sprinkled? Because that's going to determine whether not you were saved. No, no, no. So people read this and he read this verse to me and he stopped right there. Look in baptism, keep reading not the removal of the filth of the flesh but an answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ see baptism doesn't save you it's a response after you've been saved and it's like being publicly identified with the death burial and resurrection of our savior Jesus died and rose again Jesus was baptized He certainly didn't need to be baptized to be saved. He was baptized as an example for us to follow. Amen? Amen. And so baptism, again, is an outward statement of an inward change. It's a picture of the fact that you died. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And it's a picture of the fact that you died to yourself and you're now a new creation in Christ. It doesn't save you. Jesus dying on the cross did. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but blood of Jesus, not the waters of the Jordan. Now, what did he say to the man on the cross that day? Today you'll be with me where? Paradise, getting back to Abraham's bosom. He wasn't in paradise long, was he? Because Jesus showed up right behind him. Coming with me, bro. Amen. We're going to take you into heaven. So what Jesus did on the cross. So look, should we be baptized? What's the answer? Do you need to be baptized to be saved? No. It is finished, paid in full. Amen. Amen. And there's so much emphasis on, and again, it's, it's tragic to me that don't add to the cross because it, then it becomes works-based. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? So when you add to the cross, well, Jesus plus this. I don't care what it is. Communion, baby baptism, last rites. I told you my mom died. They came in and wanted to give my, my, my mom last rites. I go, she don't need those. <laughs> We're going to send someone. No. She's in heaven hanging out with Jesus right now. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. People want to add to the cross of Calvary. Don't. Problem with that position and most others, they, they stopped reading. And so often some will come with a false doctrine. And too often I discount, can you just keep reading the text? Just keep reading the rest of the verse. Peter clearly points out that it isn't the actual water washing of baptism that saves us, but, answer, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. The, the answer, it's a response. It speaks of response by the believer when questioned about his faith and his relationship with the Lord. It's to, it's, here's how they answer. When you're being persecuted in those days, they knew that if they were baptized, that they could be put to death. And this was their way. So are you really a Christian? Let's baptize me. I'll show you. Amen? Let me, let me show you that I'm unashamed of who I stand with. Let's, let's, let's baptize. And that's why I love doing baptisms in the ocean, but we're going to do baptisms here in two weeks here in the pool. So, and the whole church can come join us. And I, I want to urge all of you to plan on staying that day and, and being a witness to those who are being baptized. Amen? So we can rejoice with them. A good conscience toward God through the resurrection, the source of our good conscience toward God is the confident assurance that we have that we have triumphed over sin and death because Jesus triumphed over sin and death. Amen? When people want to come talk to me about another God, I say, when your God raises from the dead, come talk to me until then I'm done. (laughs) Well, how how about, yeah, exactly. Your God didn't even claim to raise from the dead. Amen? And if he did, we could go dig up his bones. Baptism, again, not the source of salvation, but it's public profession, public confession, being identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. I would like to take take more time on that, but we're almost out of time. Let's look at the last verse there, verse 22. Who has gone into heaven, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. The angels in heaven are subject to Jesus. Everyone in heaven, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Muhammad is bowing to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Buddha, bowing to Jesus. Every false prophet, every other false god, all bowing to Jesus, the work of our Savior. He is seated at the right hand of God. What is Jesus doing right now? What's he doing? He's praying for you, and what else? He's at the right hand of the Father, and He's preparing a place for you. And think about this. He created the heavens and the earth in six days. And before the fall, it was amazing. And even after the fall, there's some pretty beautiful spots on this planet. Amen? I love the drive up to Santa Barbara. Come on. Beautiful. That's fallen world made in six days. He's been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years that won't be fallen, And never will be fallen. And never will have sin anywhere near it. Can you imagine how amazing heaven's going to be? No matter how great you think God is, he's greater than that. No matter how great you think heaven is, it's greater than that. And when we get there, we're going to be blown away. Amen? Amen. And you know what? We should want to take everybody with us. Let's bring people with us to heaven. We can't save anybody, but we can be a tool in the hand of the master. Between the resurrection and his ascension into heaven... He instilled faith in his followers in preparation for his departure. Again, with his crucifixion, there was darkness at noon. There was a huge earthquake. The veil was torn. The resurrection. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, other dead people got up and went into the city. You know that, right? It's in the Bible. People like to skip over that. Oh, by the way, and other dead people got up. Because when Jesus triumphed to over sin and death, can you imagine your grandma showing up at your house 40 years after she died? Let me come in and make you guys some soup, right? Or whatever, right? coming into the house. Grandma, you triumphed over sin and death. I'm back for a minute. Amen. Amen. Guys, that's where our hope is. Jesus' appearances are proof of his resurrection. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, a woman retu- returning from the tomb, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Peter in Jerusalem, to the disciples minus Thomas in the locked room. Then he appeared to Thomas, to seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee, to 500 believers at one time, then to James, and then to the 11 apostles on the mountain of Galilee. Our, our God has triumphed over sin and death. He's risen. He's ascended to the Father. When he went away they thought, oh no, wait a minute he's been here forty days. well where are you going? We need you to, we need you to stay Here's the good news. you know why it's good that God went that Jesus went to heaven because he's interceding for us he's preparing a face for us, but he sent us the Holy Spirit because when Jesus is on the planet only a certain number of people could be around him but the Holy Spirit lives inside of all of us Amen. and you're never separated from him. Amen, Amen. I shared this that i ask god to forgive me because i said lord I, you know i have real intimate talks with god especially you know lately and i said and i always have, but i said god if I, I please forgive me but if i went to heaven right now i might hug mark before i hug you because i said lord because i still have you and i don't have mark but i still have you and i'm always going to have you isn't it good to know you're always going to have him you're never alone He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the God that we serve. He's interceding for you. He's preparing a place for you. He sent the Holy Spirit. All the angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. He, you know, there's levels and ranks of angelic beings. We don't have time to go into this, but there's levels and ranks of angelic beings. And by the way, when you die, you don't become an angel. You become greater than the angels. That's what the Bible says. Well, God took your son because he needed another angel. He's got plenty of angels. My, he, he took my son because my son's his son. Son's been adopted into his family. Amen? Amen? He suffered for doing good, and Jesus would tell us it was all worth it. Amen? No one ever suffered more than Jesus, and Jesus would say it's all worth it. No matter how much suffering we're going through, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did. But if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, if we will use it for the kingdom of God, if we will allow it to mold us more into his image, it will all be worth it. Amen? So whatever that suffering is that you're going through, and I'm not downplaying your suffering. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're not suffering. The suffering's real. I know a lot of you've gone through some very difficult things in life, but when we get to heaven, it will have all been worth it. And I think it can all be, can all be worth it while we're still here. Amen? So in closing, following the example of Jesus, be willing to suffer to lead others to Him suffering and persecution are a part of the christian walk. Jesus is our example, no suffering. No one suffers more than Jesus did. Boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to all men. Almighty God in his mercy gives lost sinners a way of escape from the judgment we righteously deserve. We all deserve hell. Amen. We all deserve it. And by God's grace we'll never get anywhere near it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Being openly identified with Him. Baptism is a public profession of your faith in the Lord. It's an outward statement of an inward change. It's not a work that saves us, but a response of one who's been saved. And then finally, having a heavenly focus. You know why heaven's so amazing? Because our Savior's there. Amen? Amen. Our Savior's there. In heaven, gold is asphalt. And I don't think we're going to be looking at the golden streets. It's going to be as common as asphalt. Asphalt. You know what? We're going to be we're going to be seeing our savior. You're going to have to get in line behind me to get a hug from Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you, Lord. You know, it brings me peace when I think about my son hugging the savior. Oh, thank you, Lord. No more depression anymore. No more anxiety, no more none of that. It's gone. Amen. Soon and very soon we're going to see the king and it doesn't get any better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. Lord, I pray we would live out loud for you. I do pray for those that are suffering here today, whatever they may be going through. Lord, may you comfort them. May you encourage them. May you minister to their hearts. And Lord, at the same time, may we not miss out on the fruit that can come through the suffering, the opportunities for the gospel that can come through the suffering being molded more into the image of our Savior that comes through the suffering. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, then you're not born again. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the promise of eternal life. But while you, while you were a sinner, just like the rest of us, God made a way of escape. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Let me give you a chance to make a public confession right now. We all know we're sinners. If you've never asked the Lord to not just forgive you, but to come and rule and reign in your life. If you've not been born again, may today be the day of salvation. If it's your desire to surrender your life to the Lord today, I'll pray with you. I'm not asking you to join a church, but I'll pray with you. And it's between you and the Lord. If that's your desire, just raise your hand where you are. I'll pray with you. Anybody at all? Don't leave here without the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.